Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Malcolm. Is everybody at home tonight? <laughs> Dear. Well, thank you to Alistair for leading uh, this evening's service. And thank you to Alistair and the other elders for the opportunity to preach God's word this evening. It really is a joy and a responsibility to be able to preach God's word tonight in my home church. If you have a Bible, it'd be helpful probably to have Psalm 145 open in front of you. That's the passage we'll be looking at together this evening. And if you're one of the people who finds the notice sheet helpful, you'll notice that there's three headings on the notice sheet, but under each heading there'll probably be two sub-points. So if you find that confusing, I'm going to make that statement now. There's going to be two sub-points under each heading, so if that helps you to follow, that might be helpful as well. I wonder what you think you need as we enter into a new year. There are people who have made New Year's resolutions over the last 24 or 48 hours who will have set out to do new things in this new year. I'm not very good at New Year's resolutions. Usually it involves some kind of a fitness goal. And as Karis and her family will tell you, my fitness goals usually last about one effort of going for a run. And that's the end of my fitness training for the year until the next time the 1st of January comes around. What I do do, though, and what I've done for the last three or four years is to think of a Bible verse that would be my motto text, as it were, for the year ahead. Last year it was Psalm 48 and verse 15, which is, For this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to death. And as I was thinking of what it might be for this year, I came across Daniel 11 and the second half of verse 32, which says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And I've taken that for this year as my motto text, as it were. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And in a sense, that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to be, as we leave here at half past seven or shortly after, I want us to know more of God. I want us to know more of who this God is that we worship, who this God is that we serve. I want us to leave here this evening knowing more of this God and also knowing how we are to respond to this God. And if you're following on the notice sheet, you'll see that there's three points. There's the greatness of God that we see in Psalm 145. There's the goodness of God that we see in Psalm 145. And then there is our response to God in Psalm 145 as well. So let's get straight into the text here in Psalm 145. And the first point is the greatness of God. This is a psalm of praise, a psalm of David. It's the last psalm that's ascribed to David. And in this psalm, David is praising God both for who he is and for what he has done. And in verse 3 of Psalm 145, David says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. God is great. That's a simple fact. But it's contrary to the author and the writer, Christopher Hitchens, who in 2007 published and authored a book called God is Not Great. And Christopher Hitchens' book made it the number two in the Amazon bestseller chart within a week of going on sale, second only to Harry Potter, no less. And then he went on to sell millions of copies of this book under the heading, God is Not Great. And I've read the book, and I have to say, I could go into a digression of how flawed the argument is throughout the book. 
But it's safe to say that I'm willing to take David's assertion that great is the Lord and most worthy of praise over Christopher Hitchens' assertion that God is not great. God is great. Verse 3 here in the original Hebrew simply reads, or the first part of verse 3 reads, Yahweh, great. It's two words. There is no is that it's simply Yahweh, great. God is great, first of all, because of who he is. He is inherently great. God is great with a greatness that we cannot fathom, that we cannot understand. He is great because he is God. As humans, we talk about greatness all the time. And in a sense, we've overused the word great, I feel. We ascribe greatness to someone based on what they have done more often than who they are. We talk about great footballers or great presidents or great prime ministers. And in 2017, a survey of American biographers and historians was carried out to find out who was the greatest U.S. president of all time. And in this survey, these people were asked for their reasoning behind who they would vote as the greatest U.S. president of all time. And it might not surprise you if you know your your U.S. history to know that Abraham Lincoln came out as the number one president of the United States. And when people were asked why was he the number one president, they listed things such as his oratory ability, his ability to speak to a public gathering. They cited things like his moral courage in opposing the slave trade in America at that time. They cited things like his leadership in times of crises. Unsurprisingly, no one said Abraham Lincoln is great because he is Abraham Lincoln. Because they wouldn't have got too far with that response. In fact, I imagine they would have been kicked off the panel for the next time this survey came round. Because Abraham Lincoln wasn't a great president simply because of who he was. That's in contrast to our God who is great because he is. Because he is God, because he is Yahweh, he is great. He is altogether different from anything that we know or can understand. He's altogether different from anything that our human minds can comprehend, for he is so far above and beyond our understanding, and he is great. There's many other parts of the Bible you could take this truth from. You could look at Job and those great conversations back and forth between Job and his friends, where we see so much of the greatness of God. But I've chosen Isaiah as a text to prove that God is great, as it were. For Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 to 17 says of God, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance or the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who has given him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed the way of understanding? Look, The nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel, or its animals enough for a burnt offering. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? When we read one of those passages of scripture like that, isn't the obvious answer to the question in verse 18, with whom will you compare God? The obvious answer is no one, nothing. He is so far beyond any human comparison that we can make. But I've said that he's far beyond our 
knowledge and understanding. So isn't this a rather depressing truth in many ways? For if this God were simply the creator who set the world in motion and then left us to it, and he was far beyond our understanding, wouldn't that be a rather depressing God to serve? But David here goes beyond just who God is, and then he takes God's greatness into the realm of not only who he is, but what he has done. In verse 4, David goes on to say, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. David highlights here God's wonderful works, his mighty acts, his awesome works in verse 6. He sees what God has done around him. And he declares this truth that great is the Lord. How has God spoken to us? How has God uh, given us his revelation of himself? I thought of three ways. I'm sure there's probably many more. But three ways are in creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. I love these winter mornings where it's freezing cold, but the sun's just breaking up as I'm driving them away to work most mornings at the moment. And it's blazing in through the sky. And all you can think is, the heavens declare the glory of God. And me and Cars were up at the Stanton Lees Bible School in the summer. And if you've ever been up in the little church up there in Stanton Lees, it's set up on a hill. And as you look out, you look out the windows and you're looking right across the valleys of the Peak District. And it's an amazing view to look out at. And just as we were singing the opening hymn of that Bible School, the opening hymn happened to be, How Great Thou Art. And of course, you have people who are singing, How Great Thou Art. And you're looking out the view and all you can think is, Great is the Lord. In creation, he has spoken to us and displayed his greatness. He's displayed his greatness also, though, in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we're so blessed to have his word in our own language, in our hand, and we're free to come here tonight and to read it and hear it preached. And in God's word, he displays his greatness towards us, right from Genesis to Revelation Every page is dripping with the goodness and the greatness of God. Right from Genesis, where he created, he spoke, and it was done. Right through to Revelation, where he will come again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the pages in between declare the truth that God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. He's spoken to us in creation. He's spoken to us in his word. But of course, he's spoken to us in his son. We've just been Remembering that at Christmas time, haven't we, as we, as we remember the words of John 1.14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or for a clearer explanation that God has spoken through his son, we can turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 and see, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God has revealed himself at a point in history. God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And we may not fully comprehend God, but we can know God. We can know this God who is great and beyond our understanding, personally and intimately. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, I don't know this God, well, what better way to start a new year than getting to know this God? By asking questions about who he is, or even tonight by turning from your sin and turn into this Lord Jesus Christ who came and made his dwelling among us as the Son of God. 
I'm sure there's many people here who, if you have questions about that, would love to speak to you about this Jesus that we serve and we worship here in this place. But if you are trusting in God tonight, this truth of God's greatness is a great truth to hold on to as we enter into a new year. Because whatever comes our way this year, and we don't know what lies ahead, but we know the one who is on the throne. We know the one who spoke in creation and it was. We know the one who gave himself on the cross for us, who entered this scene of time. We know the one who will return in the future as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know this great God for ourselves. And so whatever you face in the year to come, whether it is times of great sadness or whether it's times of great gladness, the truth remains that God is great and greatly to be praised through all of that. Everything that you will experience in the year to come will come from his sovereign hand. God is great, but not only does God rule over all things, and not only does David declare that God is great and greatly to be praised in Psalm 145, but he goes on then to declare the goodness of God in verses 8 and 9. So he moves from this truth that great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then in verse 8 he moves and says, The Lord is great, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I don't know how many of you might have seen the movie series God's Not Dead. I know some of our young people have because I've watched them with them at various YPF and youth camp at home evenings at the end of those weeks. But they're, they're an okay movie series. They're a bit Americanized and a bit cringy at times. But aside from that, they're okay. And the truths of the gospel are certainly within them. But in these movies, there's several scenes that come up. And there's a pastor who's called Pastor Dave. And Pastor Dave is a rather downbeat soul at various times. But he's got this friend who's always an upbeat character. And the two of them are believers. And they spend time together throughout these movies. And there's often this scene that comes back to us throughout God's Not Dead. And there's this. Pastor Dave will be downbeat. His friend will be upbeat. And whatever the situation, his friend will say, God is good. And then Pastor Dave will probably go, all the time. And then the two of them together will say, and all the time, God is good. And it gets a tad annoying as you go through the movies because it happens so often, so regularly. And you can see it's a bit set up, really. But it's a great truth they're proclaiming. If you think of what the depth of what they're actually saying, that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Look at verses 8 and 9 again here. David is not just ascribing qualities to God that he thinks God might have. He's not just making up an image of God in his head and saying, this is what I think God is like. But actually what David's doing here is echoing God's self-revelation. If you know your Bible, this might already be ringing a bell in your head. And back in Exodus 34 and verse 6, this is what the Lord said. And look out for the similarity between Exodus 34 verse 6 and Psalm 145 verse 8. This is Exodus 34 and 6. The Lord passed in front of him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is God's self-revelation of himself in Exodus 
And David here echoes it. And then an echo in God's self-revelation, David concludes in verse 9, the Lord is good. And this is a refrain that returns time and time again in the Psalms. It comes up again and again. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. It is who he is. Like his greatness, goodness is intrinsic to God's character. Just as he is great, so he is good. It's similar to love, where we read in 1 John, God is love. You could equally say God is great. God is good. They're the attributes of who God is. We see this time and again in the Psalms, as I say, Psalm 25, verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Psalm 107, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all. Over and over again, repeatedly, repeatedly, and repeatedly, the psalmist declares that the Lord is good. There's no one else that we can say this of. There's no one else we can say is truly great. And there's no one else that we can say is truly good. In fact, we can say quite the opposite. We can say that there is none good but God, as Paul does in the New Testament. But of God, we can truly say the Lord is good. It is who he is. He is unchangeably, unshakably, faithfully good. In all circumstances, at all times, always he is good. The Lord is good. And in Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9, David is praising God for his goodness, again for who he is, but again, it's more of an idea for what he has done. Because David is declaring here that the Lord is good to all. And this is God's goodness over all creation. He's declaring what the theologians today might call the truth of common grace. He's declaring that everyone, by virtue of being created and living in God's perfect world, or God's created world, sorry, everyone enjoys this thing called common grace. We enjoy blessings that come from the hand of God. Look at verse 15. There's one that David cites here, where he says in Psalm 145, verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. God provides our food supply. I'm sure many of us will have enjoyed a Sunday dinner today. I didn't because I was cooking for myself and Carlos was away with her family. So I had heated up leftovers. But those things still come from God. Those blessings of the food supply that we enjoy, they are from the hand of the great and good God. Or think of medical advances. We've all been thankful over this last 18 months or a year or so for medical advances, haven't we? Whether that's the vaccine program, whether that's the ventilation that we've seen, which has helped people recover from COVID-19. Medical advances help us all. God gives people and individuals the intellect to develop these things. He provides the prosperity that allows us to develop the technology to experience these medical advances. And this is an example of common grace. These aren't particular to certain people. These are to all. The Lord is good to all. Or think of just how patient and good God really is. Stop and think of this truth. That God could have returned in judgment on the earth at any time since Jesus returned to heaven. In fact, the early church thought that God would return in many of their lifetimes. 
And he could have returned in judgment at any point over the last 2,000 years or so. And yet 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, in his grace and his goodness and his great mercy, God still allows us to live in this age of grace where if you're sitting in the meeting tonight and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can accept this free gift of salvation even tonight because the Lord in his goodness has delayed his coming. And we could go on and on tonight mentioning and thinking of ways that we can see around us that the Lord is truly good. We could sit here repeating over and over again different things and different ways that we've experienced, perhaps even in 2021, that the Lord is good. But in addition to all of these common blessings we enjoy, we can say that the Lord is good to all. We have a much greater way now in 2022 to look back and see that the Lord is good. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Many of you will know that we can point back to the cross. About a year ago, we started to sing a new song here at Hollywell. And the second verse of this song says, What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Perhaps you're starting off 2022 as a troubled soul. Perhaps you're starting off with uncertainties and worries and concerns about your health. Perhaps you're grieving at the moment. Perhaps there's something going on in your life that no one else knows about. Take comfort and take refuge in the fact that God is good. And that truth will remain with you throughout 2022, regardless of what happens. And for those of us, perhaps you're starting off 2022, not as troubled souls. I have little doubt that there will be many of us who will experience times in the year to come where we will doubt or will be tempted to doubt the goodness of our God. Well, when these times come upon us, we can look back to the cross. We can look back to the place called Calvary and see there in our mind's eye the Son of God hanging on that middle tree for us. We can see the God-man crucified in our place taking our sin upon his shoulders, taking our room instead for where we deserve to be. And we can look back and say, truly, God is good. Someone penned these words in a poem, when you are tempted to deny God's goodness, love and grace, look to the cross of Calvary where Jesus took your place. The circumstances of our lives today on the 2nd of January 2022 or in the future in 2022 or beyond, are not the measure of God's love and goodness towards us. The cross is the measure of that goodness towards us. The cross has declared to us that God is good and his compassion and his love never fails. It's interesting that throughout the Psalms, that particular phrase, the Lord is good, is often then followed by his love endures forever. And that love that he had for us by going to the place called Calvary, will endure forever. Throughout the year ahead, throughout the the years until he returns, and throughout the countless ages of eternity. The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. We can look back in history and see it. We can look back throughout the Bible and see it. We can look around us in creation, and we can look back to the cross and truly say, the Lord is good. 
So God is great. We have seen that in Psalm 145. God is good, and we've seen that in Psalm 145. And how then should we respond to this God? It would be easy to go away from this evening thinking, well, we've got a bit of extra head knowledge about how good God is, and, well, Ben's read a few books on the attributes of God and brought a bit of that content and done a bit of study, and so now we all know a bit more about God. But how should we respond? Well, I've picked out two ways that David encourages us to respond to this God. The first way is to praise him. This is a psalm of praise. It tells us that in the title. And David used the attributes of God as he goes through to then praise God. Look at verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Verse 2. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Verse 21 then. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This psalm resounds and cries out with praise to this God. This psalm tells us that this is a God who is worthy of praise and then puts that truth into action by praising him. Some preachers have called this the ABCXYZ psalm of praise. And that is because it's an acrostic psalm where each new verse begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it seems then to be significant that the psalm begins with praise in verse 1 and 2, and then it ends with praise in verse 21. As if from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, God is to be praised. As if from the beginning of one's life to the end of one's life, God is to be praised. And as if from the beginning of creation, right through until eternity, God will be praised because he is great and greatly to be praised. For who he is, for what he has done, David here encourages us to praise him. And then secondly, so we should praise God, but secondly then, we're to tell others about this God. We're to tell others about how great and how good the God we adore really is. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 145. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Verse 11 and 12. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. We're to tell others of this great God and this good God that we worship. That's what David's pattern is here in the psalm. He seems to declare an attribute of God, praise him for it, and then go on to speak of others hearing about this God. For example, look in verse 8. So he declares that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion in all he has made. Then the praise comes in verse 10. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. Verse 11 and 12. And they will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know. And so it goes on. That is others hearing and being told of this great God. And when we read a psalm like this, why wouldn't we tell others about this God? When we see how great God is and how greatly he is to be praised, And then we see how good he is and how loving and kind he is to us. Why would we not tell others? And yet it seems to be the hardest thing in the world to do, doesn't it? To speak of Jesus in our day-to-day contexts. To speak to our family members who don't know him. To speak to those that we come into contact with each day about this God that we worship. And it seems just to dry up our throat so often. 
Well, David encourages us by taking comfort and taking great encouragement in the character of God first as the basis for our evangelism. Then declaring praise to him and then going out and telling others. That's David's pattern of declaring God's character, praise him and tell others of this wonderful God that we have and that we serve and worship. We've seen God's greatness. We've seen God's goodness. And we've seen how we should respond to him. And as we step into a new year together, whether you're a part of this church or not, we can know that we step into that new year serving a great God, a God who is on the throne, a God who is over all things, a God who is great and greatly to be praised. We can step into the new year knowing that this God has made himself known to us and his goodness abounds to us, both as we look at the circumstances of our lives, but also as we look back to the cross for that ever-present reminder that the Lord is good. And then we can go into this new year praising him, thanking him and worshipping him for who he is, for what he has done, and then declare that great message of hope to others. For there's many around us who need to hear it, who need to know that there's a God who is great and a God who is good. Let's pray as we close to ask God to help us to do that, and then we'll sing together our closing hymns. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Thank you that your word speaks today, just as it spoke all those years ago when it was first written down. And we thank you that this evening we can take great hope in the God that we serve. We can take great encouragement and great comfort in the fact that you are a great God, that you're a great God who is above all our circumstances and above every situation that we face today and in the year to come. That we can step into this year trusting you for who you are and for what you have done in the past and what you will do in the future. We thank you that you are a good God who has revealed yourself to us, who has stepped down from the glory of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and made yourself known on this world. Thank you for that ever-present reminder of the cross which proclaims so loudly that the Lord is good and he is good to us and his love endures forever. And we do pray that we would take those truths to heart this evening and that we would take them in the week to come. We would use them to praise you for who you are and for what you have done, but that we would take them and declare those truths to others, that we would speak of Jesus in the week to come because he is great and because he is good, that we would speak to those around us of who he is and We would long to see others coming to know this great and good God for themselves. So we pray that each one here would respond to your word this evening or right, as you would have us to respond, preacher and hearer alike. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.